turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. The views and opinions expressed in the program are not necessarily those of this radio station or its sponsors and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. You should always consult the appropriate advisor before making any financial decision. All rights reserved. Now, AM 1220 KDOW presents New Focus on Wealth with certified financial planner Chad Burton. Drawing from his 28-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matters. New focus on wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your host for New Focus on Wealth, Chad Burton. Welcome into the show. I'm your host, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner. If you have a money question for the show, shoot me an email, chad at chadburton.com. Start the show with a little market update because, you know, we entered 2023 with so many calls for immediate market pullback and recession. And so far, what we're seeing is kind of a bit of, I guess you could say, rolling recession is a term being used. Um, Layoffs, mostly in tech and now some industrial, like 3M yesterday announced. So where are we at? Let's we use a firm called Strategis for a kind of global macro strategy. Don Riss Miller from Strategist. We get a report every Sunday, essentially. Our head CFA sends it out to us. And Don Rissmiller wrote that interest rate sensitive sectors like housing are already showing the effects of a tighter monetary policy. What a tighter monetary policy means is what is the Federal Reserve doing? They're raising rates to make it more expensive to borrow money. U.S. existing home sales fell again, down 1.5% month over month in December. So that added to a package of weaker housing data in the past several quarters. Housing starts and permits declined. U.S. nominal activity is slowing a bit. The U.S. PPI was down a half a percent in December. Nominal retail sales, mostly goods, they write, has declined 1.1% month over month, with the retail control group down 0.7%. U.S. industrial production also declined 0.7% in December from the previous month. And there were some downward provisions. The New York Federal, uh, New York Fed Manufacturing Index dropped quite a bit in January. Um, but consumer spending, including services, is still showing resilience. So they say the next 12 months could prove to have multiple inflection points, making it essential for investors to be nimble. Global growth could remain choppy quarter over quarter and very varied by region in different quarters. Commodity inflation could fall, and as China reopens and illness spreads, and then surge in again in twenty twenty later twenty twenty three as the COVID wave passes, and Europe may have enough money, or not money, <laughs> Europe may have enough energy storage for this winter, but the problem could resurface next winter because of Russia, of course. Um, so their bottom line is risk remains to economic growth. Skews to the downside currently are likely to continue to do so for some time. Eventually, the Fed should feel less urgency in terms of 
raising rates because now it was about inflation. Now they're talking about the labor market because it's still crazy. And I'm telling you, if if you have kids that are you know starting to enter college or maybe they're in college trying to figure out what to do, there's such a shortage of certified financial planners, of tax CPAs, tax-oriented CPAs. I mean, just in general, people that know how to do bookkeeping and QuickBooks and things like that. There's just a huge lack there. Um, so especially college that offer degrees like personal financial planning, whether it's Texas tech or university of Hawaii, which I had kids go to, or some of the other ones, um, check it out because it's very high demand jobs right now. Um, so price inflation is peaking, they say, but wage inflation looks sticky. This combo should pressure company margins. And there's a 75% chance of a U.S. recession, they say, within the next two years. So and so that's been, I guess, muted versus what they were talking about last year. Um, and yes, we've had an inverted yield curve, meaning short-term rates are higher than long-term rates. I mean, I just got some uh, 26-week T-bills in Treasury Direct. You just go to treasurydirect.gov and open these up and you can get like, you know, 4.6 on six month holdings with the U S government. Whereas a 10 year bond with the U S government is under 4%. That's an inverted yield curve. And and typically there, a recession is around the corner, but there's always been a debate about that. And it's been some cases, you know, almost two years before the recession occurred, but where are we? Where's this pullback that everybody was calling for at the end of 2022. So far, the bond market, if we look at AGG, the ETF that tracks the U.S. aggregate bond uh, total return, the U.S. total return bond market, essentially, it's up 2.94%. The Russell 2000 small and mid-cap index is up 7.44. MSCI, uh, EFA, ETF, EFA is up 862 And emerging markets, EEM ETF is up 10.9%. So international is on... A big jump for the year so far. Of course, a couple of things. If you look back over the last 10 years, you've international underperforming US, small caps underperforming large cap. And kind of the call is for that to switch, but kind of the call was that for last year as well. Morgan Stanley, though, was in the news yesterday. They're decreasing US weight and adding to emerging markets, but in an active way because they look at a lot of those indexes and 30% of the average emerging market index is China, but they don't necessarily think the the growth is there. Um, there's, there's issues there. And so they prefer India right now. So as I've mentioned before, the fundamentals for a couple of years have been much more attractive overseas. And you're talking about, you know, 17 times future earnings is the, the price uh, per share, uh, the PE ratio on the S&P 500, where it's sub 12 overseas, you're paying much less for next year's earnings overseas, but there's been a whole bunch of issues. Obviously, you had Russia, you had China shut down, and you had a strong US dollar. And so as interest rates went up, the US dollar became more expensive against other currencies. And that made it harder for emerging market countries to pay their debt because they typically pay it in dollar denominated kind of bonds when they borrow money. 
And so their debt became more expensive to buy goods or products out of the U.S. or services out of the U.S. That became more expensive. So there's just some pressure there. And then they just didn't have the ability to deal with COVID in the same manner that countries that had money had the ability to deal with it. So, uh, you know, that's kind of all unwinding a little bit is, is the Federal Reserve hopefully, you know, starts to pause and say, okay, let's see what we've done. How is this going to affect over the next couple of months? Because there are some definitely, I mean, I, I just feel sorry for all of the people that got into the mortgage industry late. They became real estate agents really late. It's, it's going to be a tough go. And you're starting to see layoffs where a lot of tech companies kind of overhired and were overpaying. And there's a lot of people that were laid off that there's jobs out there, but it's not going to be the same wages. So how's that all going to play out into the economy? But a lot of, a lot of labor markets are still, I mean, the, the openings, like I just mentioned in the financial industry, especially in the world of fee only fiduciary based financial planning, tax accounting, the, you know, basic CPAs. There's just been a mass resignation in the world of, of people that do taxes and a bunch that have been retiring because it's a rough business. I mean, if you think about it, you have these periods of time, like right at the end of the year, and then your tax filing deadline in April and your tax filing extension deadline in October, your corporate filing deadline. It's like they go through these waves of working massive, horrible hours because of the way our tax system works. Don't get me started on that. Our tax system is a bit of a joke, but we will talk a little bit today about a little bit more about the secure 2.0 act that was recently passed and how that has changed a few things coming up after the break. We're going to talk about how can people save for retirement, but at the same time pay down student loans. And there's a little bit of this going on in both the secure 2.0 act that was passed, but also that uh, omnibus spending bill that, that Biden signed um, back in December and how it affects, okay, you, you go to work for somebody, you've got a 401k, you're trying to save money for retirement and you're trying to get that company match, but you can't do that and pay off your loans. So what do you do? We'll talk about it after the break. If you want to shoot me an email, it's chad at chadburton.com. That's chad at chadburton.com. We'll be back. You're listening to new focus on wealth on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome back into the show. I'm your host, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner. If you have a money question, need some help with your financial planning, money management, set a time to talk to me and one of my other Certified Financial Planner practitioner associates, shoot me an email, chat at chadburton.com or go to the website, chadburton.com. So on Monday, I read an article, How to Save for Retirement by Paying Down Student Loans by Ella Siren. And a new benefit can help people potentially do both. A provision of the omnibus spending bill signed by President Joe Biden in December formally allows employers to extend their 401k match programs to include any payments an employee makes towards student debt. It's going to go into effect in January of next year, in 2024. The matches function the same way a traditional 401k program does with a company depositing its contribution to the worker's retirement account. But if if instead the person is paying down a student loan, that would count towards a contribution of the 401k. Even the money goes to pay down the debt, if that makes sense. And apparently um, Abbott Labs was an early adopter of the idea, receiving approval in 2018 from the IRS for its program called Freedom to Save. 
And under that, employees who direct at least 2% of their pay to their student debt receive a 5% match of their 401k account. That's pretty good. That's something that I think that you, you know, younger people that are comparing jobs and maybe they're getting multiple offers to look into that benefit. You know, it's kind of part of that whole $20,000 loan forgiveness deal, but that part's still held, held up in court. Who knows what's going to happen with that? And another change that is available this year from the Secure 2.0 Act that was passed a few weeks ago that I don't really see going into place this year because when when these laws are passed, if a company has a 401k plan, they have to amend their 401k plans to do this. Um, so employers can allow you to elect the match now that they give. So in other words, if you have uh, the typical safe harbor match, they call it, is they match 100% of pay up to 3% into the 401k. So if you're putting, if you make 100,000, you're putting in 3% or $3,000, the employer is going to match that $3,000. And now you can choose to have the employer match also go into your Roth 401k bucket. Now, the issue is, is that'll create it as taxable income. So you'll actually pay taxes on that $3,000. Now, but once it goes into the 401k Roth bucket, it'll grow tax-free for the rest of your life. And again, you're probably not going to see many plans able to change their documents until next year to allow for this, but the IRS is supposed to allow it. This is great for younger people at a really low tax bracket. Because typically we talk about, okay, you're starting out, you're you're you know well under a 22% federal bracket, you're young. Taxes are likely going to go way up in the future because, look, I mean, I've been doing this for over 28 years, and this is the lowest tax structure that I have seen since I've been in the business. Yet we have an aging population. We have Social Security as a wreck. We have underfunded health issues. We have homeless problems in every major city and a ballooning national deficit. So taxes are going to go up in the future. And the more you get into a Roth now, it's going to grow tax-free and then you know not be taxable when you take the money out. So if you're younger and you're just starting out your career and you're at a lower bracket than you know when you're 50 and you're at the height of your career, put the money in to the Roth. But the employer match would still go into the pre-tax bucket and grow tax-deferred and still be taxable when they retire. So this is great for lower people to say, you know what? I will pay the taxes now just so I can put it into the Roth. The other group that it's really good for is if you happen to be the very few Americans that are out there, U.S. citizens that have started saving early. And let's say you're 50 years old, you know, kids are out of college. Uh, you're finally able to save a little bit more and you happen to have been saving your entire life. And so your retirement plan is on track, if not ahead of the game. But everything you have is saved up at a pre-tax 401k, and it's time to get a, a, a saving mix, you know, tax diversification of some tax-free money in a Roth and pre-tax money in an IRA or 401k. Then you got your cash and you got your normal investments in a normal brokerage account that are subject to capital gains. You want to get that tax diversification. We're going to talk a little bit about that later in the show. But it might be good to go ahead. Hey, I'm ahead of the game. I got too much money pre-tax. I need some tax-free money. 
is to go ahead and choose the Roth bucket. So that's the other group, very low, you know, tax, tax bracket that when you're younger or if you're on track or ahead of the game and you need tax diversification. So keep an eye out on this um, for maybe later in the year, 2024 as, as an option. For self-employed savers, another change from the Secure 2.0 Act is the, you know, I think the best plan is an individual 401k where you can do a deferral plus a profit share, but most self-employed people, uh, the easiest thing that they had done in the past is set up a SEP IRA, which you can put in pre-tax money into a SEP IRA. If you're just filing a schedule C, it's typically around somewhere about 18.6% of your net income up to a certain max. Uh, but it was all pre-tax. Now you can actually do a SEP Roth IRA, but self-employed people, you need to be careful and really get some advice from your certified financial planner or, and, or CPA to do some modeling because self-employed people often can get this new 199A deduction. And you got to see how this calculation comes into play because you get this small business deduction or 199A deduction and any money that you put in to a SEP can potentially reduce that deduction. So there's a roundabout calculation. So you really have to model, okay, if I put in X number of dollars into my SEP, how does that affect? And and now that they have the SEP Roth IRA, I have no idea how that's going to affect the calculation with that yet. So I I doubt the IRS does either. It's going to be a whole new form. Most of the other issues that um, come into play with the Secure 2.0 Act start kicking in in 2024. One thing that kicks in this year, of course, is that if you were turning 72 this year and you thought, oh, I got to start taking my required minimum distributions, that new age is now 73. Um, something that's going to kick in next year that you have to plan on paying more in taxes. If you are 50 or older and and there's different age ranges in this now, so I'm not going to go too into this because it doesn't kick in until next year, but a lot of those catch-up contributions that you're making to your 401k plan, if your wages are over 145 grand, you're going to have to in, choose to pay taxes on those co- catch-up contributions and have it go into the Roth, which isn't necessarily a bad thing unless you're way behind on savings and you need the tax deduction. So lots of issues there. So after the break, we're going to talk about adjusting your 401k because the amount that you can put into your 401k as an employee, whether it's pre-tax or Roth or a combination, because I have several clients that are doing a combination, maybe uh, you know, 80% of the pre-tax, 20% of the Roth, the amount that you can put in if you're 50 or older by the end of the year went up to 30 grand. And the total of all sources went up to 73,500. So you can do the mega Roth 401k at a bigger level. We'll talk about it after the break. You can find me at chadburton.com. Now back to New Focus on Wealth on AM 1220 KDOW. Well, have you reset your 401k contributions yet? New year. It's too late to say Happy New Year anymore. But it is a new year and a lot of people might have altered their allocations to their 401k to make sure they get it maxed out by the end of last year and they got to go back in and change their percentage of both their base and sometimes their bonus that goes into pre-tax or Roth or even after-tax, as we're going to talk about. So you got to reset those contributions because the amount that you can put into your plan, especially if you're 50 older 
by the end of the year went up by quite a bit. You can now get into the deferral side of $30,000 and you can split that up. You can have 15 go to the Roth side and 15,000 go to the pre-tax side if you want to. Uh, you can go all Roth or all pre-tax. It's up, up to you and it's up to your tax advisor. Now, the other thing that went up is the total of all sources. So when you have a 401k profit sharing plan, you have the employee deferral that can be up to $30,000 if you're 50 year older by the end of the year. You've got an employer match, sometimes an employer profit share. And then there's a, an amount that some plans allow where you can make an after-tax contribution to the 401k where the money goes in, you don't get a tax break for doing it. It grows tax deferred. And when you retire, you'll pay taxes on the gain, but not the amount that you put in. And the idea is that once you put in the after-tax amount, most plans allow you to convert that right away to the Roth bucket. So it's a way to get a whole bunch of money put away into the Roth without paying taxes. Now, the total of all sources, deferral, match, profit share, after tax is now 73,500. And this is crazy because when I got into the business back in 93, I think the most you could put into a 401k plan was 10% up to 10 grand. And your IRA limit was $2,000. And now we have all of these different options. So let me give you an example of one that we were updating for some clients just last week. Heavy Saver works at KLA. $260,000 per year and 57 years old, kids out of college, so saving a lot more money now. So they're putting in $30,000 pre-tax. And the way that the KLA match ends up is that the match was going to be at 9750 They didn't do any profit sharing, so it was just the $30,000 pre-tax from, uh, plus the ninety-seven fifty. But you can get up to $73,500 into the plan. So this person was able to put in this year an amount of their paycheck that will end up equaling $33,750 into an after-tax contribution. And every time they make that after-tax contribution, the plan automatically converts it to the Roth 401k bucket. So this guy's going to get in between his deferral and the match $39,750 into the pre-tax bucket growing tax deferred forever until he starts to take it out and then he'll pay taxes. And then he's going to get 33750 into the Roth bucket that's going to grow tax-free for the rest of his life. And once he passes away uh, and the spouse is gone, it'll go to the kids and they get another 10 years of tax-free growth under current law. Now, at the same time, they both make too much money to do a Roth IRA. So they're also each doing a backdoor Roth where they fund a non-deductible IRA for 7000 each. And that gets converted to the Roth IRA. And that's another $14,000 a year growing tax-free. So this couple, obviously, you know, doing very well income-wise, controlling their expenses, saving a ton of money that's growing tax-free. Now, the spouse, though, in this situation happens to work it into it. And they have the ability to do the after-tax to Roth contribution, the mega Roth 401k, as I like to call it. But every time they want to convert the amount of money that was put in after tax to the Roth bucket, they have to do a form. And I tell you what, they did the form several times in 2022. I looked at the 401k statement at the end of the year and the 401k provider in that case did it wrong. We had to have them correct it. So you have to keep an eye on this stuff. They didn't do the conversion from the after tax to the Roth properly. 
but most plans that I see, if I can kind of go off memory, um, like KLA, uh, Cisco, you know, some of the other ones, when you do this, the conversion happens automatically. Um, last I looked, I don't know if they changed it this year, but the last time I, I looked, I have to ask some of my other CFPs that are working with Apple clients too. But um, the last I looked, Apple was required to submit a form when they convert the after-tax loss. So that's a huge amount of money that could be saved, you guys. I mean, that's that's amazing. So most of your savings can be done in, into a plan like this. And then if you're like, okay, so I can still save more money on top of that, then that's when you, you know, you, you max out your 401k options, your mega Roth 401k, your backdoor Roth IRA. Then you can just open up a brokerage account and start saving in an indexed ETF, like a total stock market index or something like that, so that you can start getting some money outside of your retirement accounts too, so that you can access it at any time to pay for something, to buy real estate, you know, things like that. So it, a lot of what you can do is now inside your 401k. So keep an eye on that. And what can get tricky on this is that it's it's crazy. I log into some Fidelity 401ks. So Fidelity is one of the largest provider of 401k plans out there. And depending on what company I'm helping the client log into and make the deferral changes, some plans make you choose what percentage of your base do you want to put in pre-tax versus Roth? What percentage of your bonus do you want to put in pre-tax versus Roth? And then they even separate the catch-up contribution if you're over 50 in a total different line, whereas sometimes they don't. So we like to keep a spreadsheet so that we can plug in the base, the bonus, and you know whether or not you have to choose a difference so that the person knows what's the right amount to put in each paycheck. Do I want to do it just on my base and max out the plan or a combination of my base and my bonus? Uh, some people like to really max these plans out very early. And that's when you really have to do careful math so that if you do it wrong, you don't want your after-tax to, uh, contribution to mess up your pre-tax contribution in some cases. Um, I like to level it out throughout the year so that the we know that the math is correct. Some of the times, though, when the market's down, people like to increase their deferrals to be able to buy stocks when they're low. No, I did notice back, it hasn't been a long time, but I did notice sometimes when people maxed out their 401k early, they could miss out on some max or match, but most plans have a true provision now. So that doesn't happen. Part of what you're doing here, when you're choosing to put money away pre-tax in a 401k or post-tax in a Roth 401k that grows tax-free forever or a Roth IRA that grows tax-free forever, and then saving money in cash, which now you can earn you know, nearly 4% on your FDIC-insured liquid money with online banks out there. And then also saving money outside of a retirement account in a normal taxable account, joint, individual, or in a trust, living trust situation. When you spend your cash in retirement, there's no taxes due, right? You're just paying taxes on the interest that your bank is paying you. If you have stock or mutual funds outside of a retirement account, when you sell those, if as long as you've held them for over a year, they go through the capital gains bracket, which is zero, 15, uh, zero and, and 15 and 23.8% um, up to that 
amount. And so you can play with the brackets a little bit. When you pull money out of a 401k or IRA that has not been taxed yet, that goes to the ordinary income brackets, 10, 12, 22, 24, and all the way up. And so the idea is to have tax diversification by saving in each of those buckets, and especially the Roth bucket that grows tax-free forever. Because what most Americans have right now is their home and a 401k. And what happens with your home? You need to do major repairs sometimes. So let's say you're 70 years old and you don't have a lot of cash outside of your 401k. You own your home and you have a large IRA or 401k account that's never been taxed. And then all of a sudden you need a major repair on your home. You need a new roof. You need, you know, new plumbing, whatever it is. And so then you're faced with this issue of like, every time I've got to pull out a dollar of expenses, I got to actually pull out a buck 50 to pay those expenses because I got to pay taxes on it. So if you have a major remodel issue and you got to pull out a hundred thousand dollars to fix up your home from your 401k, you're going to get a tax bill of, you know, who knows, somewhere around 20, 30 grand, right? And you're gonna have to do an additional draw to take that out. So you want to try to avoid that situation in retirement where you have cash, you have pre-tax money, you have Roth tax-free money, and then you have normal stocks, mutual funds, or ETFs in a normal brokerage account that qualify for capital gains because you can alternate or blend your withdrawal strategy to create what's called tax alpha and be at a very, very low rate. Some of the things that I show at the retirement income and tax strategies events that I do with Rob Black coming up here uh, in a couple of weeks in Cupertino is how this truly works, how you can show when people have and are spending, you know, a hundred thousand plus out of their portfolios and paying next to nothing in federal taxes, paying next to nothing in federal taxes. In some cases, you know, fairly low in California state when all is said and done. So this new secure act, um, the Secure 2.0 Act also gives us more time now to create tax diversification for those that retire. So maybe you've saved up enough and you're able to still retire at 65, but you don't have a lot of tax diversification. Well, now you don't have to, you're not forced to take money out of your IRAs and 401ks until you're 73. That'll go up to 75 by 2033. But for now, just think about it at age, as age 73. So between for the years of when you are retire all the way through your 72nd, the year you are, you know, 72 years old, you have this ability to max out your existing bracket every year. November is a good time to check this out and say, how much can I move from my IRA or 401k to a Roth, pay taxes at a very low rate because I'm going to be at a higher tax bracket after I'm 73. We'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is New Focus on Wealth on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome back into the show. I'm your host, Shepard, Certified Financial Planner. I had a good email question here. Is it now time to buy a life annuity now that rates are high? Okay, first of all, I know annuities extremely well. When I got into the business when I was, you know, started at 18, licensed at 19, I was working with my grandfather who had left the banks. He was selling annuity and mutual funds at the banks, got tired of all of the, you know, rollovers post saving and loan crisis, and basically took his box of statements with him and we started opening up an office and fell in love with the business, just hated the sales. Um, 
annuities back then were much more attractive than now because of the deferral. Back then, capital gains taxes were like 27%. They're much lower now. So long story short, I, I you know changed my business and got out of the commission world very early in life into the fee-only fiduciary certified financial planner practitioner world. But I know annuities very, very well, and there are some decent ones out there. 99% of annuities are complete garbage and not worth the paper they're written on. They're full of you know, promises and guaranteed incomes and things like that, but they're also full of fees. And if not done properly, will cost your spouse or kids a lot of money that they could have otherwise had. So what is a life annuity? A life annuity is when you give a chunk of change to an insurance company in exchange for a payout that you can't let outlive. So if you're a very conservative investor and you have a lot of longevity and you don't care about your money when you die, you don't have kids and things like that, you could get a fairly decent guaranteed payout from an insurance company forever. But you got to make sure the insurance company is really, really good. And you got to calculate what rate of return are they using to pay you back? Because if you give them a million bucks and they give you $6,000 a year for as long as you live until you're 120, you're like, oh, I'm getting 6%. No, they're getting, you're getting mostly your principal back. So the time to look at these are when long-term rates are high and potentially coming down. Right now, long-term rates, if you look at the 10-year U.S. Treasury, it's only at 3.52%. When I was in the business and the world of annuities were attractive and and offered great tax deferral, we couldn't put much into the 401k back then or the IRA. So they were really useful tools. The 10-year treasury was over 6%. We could lock in fixed annuities at 6 or 7% for 10 years. Tax deferred, you don't pay taxes on them until you pull the money out. They were great back then. Now, the best I've seen is around point five or so for five years, which is still pretty good, but you can also get more than that on a, you know, one year T bill. If you go to treasury direct.gov and have much more liquidity. So no, now is not a good time to buy a life annuity. In my opinion, Um, the curve is still inverted. You still can make more money on short-term bonds than long-term bonds. So that tells me it's not a good time to buy it. But we're going to hear more about it because an additional issue that you know got pushed through, I'm sure, by the insurance lobbyists out there as part of the Secure 2.0 Act that was passed a few weeks back is people um, can put a portion of their IRA into a qualified longevity annuity contract called a QLAC is the uh, kind of acronym for it. And... What that does is allows you to delay taking required minimum distributions on that money until the age of 85. And you can put up to $200,000 in it. So if you can imagine you're 73 this year, you're, you're going to get hit with required minimum distributions. You're like, I don't want to pay taxes on that money. Um, I, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to live to very, very old age. I'm very conservative. You know, yeah, you could take $200,000 from your IRA, roll it into a qualified lifetime, uh, or qualified longevity annuity contract. And it doesn't start paying you until you're 85. And then it lasts for a long, long time after that, as long as you live. But you give up access to all of that money. You give up liquidity, you give up control 
And really all you're doing is avoiding taking about $8,000 of a required minimum distribution. And you're just putting off that tax hit till later in life. So my fear on this one is that it's going to be a really hard sales pitch and a really good sales pitch by people that work off of commission where it might not be the best thing to do. That's why you don't want to work with people that, that run on commission when it comes to financial planning at all, because when you're working, especially when it's with a couple and you're, you're dealing with financial planning issues and decision-making, it's not often, it's just one answer. That's right. It could be, you know, two or three options that make a lot of sense, which option feels right to you. And you present those plans, you present those planning scenarios, the different issues that how long your money's going to last, how volatile the portfolio can be, what, what you're going to pay in taxes, what your kids are going to pay in taxes, there's all sorts of things that come into play. But when you're dealing with a person that works on commission, especially when they sell annuities, the sales pitch is going to be directed towards that product because for every $100,000 you put into it, they're going to make five grand. So in this scenario, somebody that sells you a $200,000 qualified lifetime annuity contract is probably going to make about $10,000. Pretty good, you know, one-time chunk. Selling a couple of those a week, you know, hey, they've got pretty good income. But it ties your money up and gives you lack of liquidity and an unknown rate of return and not the best option. So when you're dealing with financial planning, that's why you work with a fee-only certified financial planner practitioner that's got chartered financial analysts helping in the background and, and managing the portfolio because of what CFPs do, taxes, insurance, retirement planning, estate planning, investing, Investing is a smaller part of it. With technology, that's gotten to be the easiest part of our job. It's all of the other things. It's taxes. It's when can I retire? What's my success rate? What are my taxes going to look like? What are my estate planning options? What do I do about my estate plan? What do I do when I turn 65 and I need Medicare and supplemental insurance? Uh, what type of insurance do I need without being sold extra insurance? <clears throat> that's the majority of what we do. And you have to go with a fee-only fiduciary, which means they have to act in your best interest. Otherwise, your advice is going to be biased and you're going to be sold a product that you're going to regret later on in life. Or maybe it's when you pass your spouse or your kids are going to regret that you bought this product that somebody earned a big fat commission on. So be aware of that. There's there's uh, downloadables and things like that about picking financial advisors. Just go to chadburton.com. That's chadburton.com. You can find out all about our team, offices in the Bay Area, East Bay, Redwood Shores, Southern California. 